things do. I will put that water up there. Helps keep things lubricated. Well, good morning to you. And greet you in the lovely name of Jesus. I uh, couldn't help but think about uh, Mount Hermon in, in regards to our Sunday school lesson and, and how in some ways we are a, um, a very different church from many churches uh, in, the, in the simple sense that so many of us come from so far apart. And in a lot of ways it makes it difficult for us to act and, and, or to operate as a church in, in the same way that it, we could operate if we all lived very close to each other. And um, it creates a certain level of difficulty of interacting and, and those kind of things, which means I suppose that we need to exert more effort to make it happen or maybe do it in different ways. So maybe that's something we can think about some more and ask the question, what, uh, how can we operate, what can we do to, uh, to operate in, in a more cohesive way? And yet, in the same way, that, that same time, that also opens up other opportunities because it puts us in lots of different places, doesn't it? I live in a lot of different communities. We go out and we, we interact with people that if we all lived in this little community, we wouldn't be, operate, um, we wouldn't be interacting with. And so I think God uses different kinds of churches to do different kinds of work. And uh, I don't think we don't forget that either. Well, I was reading a, a book in um, um, The Pursuit of God, and there was a little piece in there that really caught my attention I'd like to read to you as an introduction, or sort of an introduction to the sermon this morning. He writes, a fairly accurate description of the human race might be furnished, might furnish, be furnished one unacquainted with it by taking the Beatitudes, turning them wrong side out, and saying, here is your human race. For the exact opposite of the virtues and the Beatitudes are the very qualities which distinguish human life and conduct. In a world of men, we find nothing approaching the virtues of which Jesus spoke in the opening words of the famous Sermon on the Mount. Instead of poverty of spirit, we find the rankest kind of pride. Instead of mourners, we find pleasure seekers. Instead of meekness, arrogance. Instead of hunger after righteousness, we hear men saying, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. Instead of mercy, we find cruelty. Instead of purity of heart, corrupt imagination. Instead of peacemakers, we find men quarrelsome and resentful. Instead of rejoicing and mistreatment, we find them fighting back with every weapon at their command. Of this kind of moral stuff, civilized society is composed. The atmosphere is charged with it. We breathe it with every breath and we drink it with our mother's milk. Culture and education refine these things slightly, but leave them basically untouched. A whole world of literature has been created to justify this kind of life as the only normal one, and this is the more to be wondered at, seeing that these are the evils which make life the bitter struggle it is for all of us. All of our heartaches and great many of our physical ills spring directly out of our sins. Pride, arrogance, resentfulness, evil imaginings, malice, greed, these are the sources of more human pain than all the diseases that ever inflicted afflicted mortal flesh. 
Well, I'm not planning to speak from the Beatitudes this morning, except for to call attention to one of them. And the, uh, the title of my sermon this morning is The Call of Meekness. The Call of Meekness. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. You'll notice that one of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Matthew 11, verse 28. I'd like to read several verses there. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus gives us an invitation, and he says, Come. Come to me if you're struggling and carrying a heavy load. You know, weariness, labor, and struggle are normal for mankind, aren't they? And Jesus says, I am the source of the solution. His invitation is for you and for me. He, he says, come. He also said, come when, uh, when Peter was wishing to walk on the water. He, um, he said, come in a sense in these words when he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The invitation was there when he said, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the invitation continues to be there in the words that he has in Revelation twenty-two seventeen. He says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that hears say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The invitation is for us. The source is Jesus. And he promises, I will give you rest. I think all of us are get tired of the struggle. We all want the rest. The question is, will we accept the solution? Well, what is the solution anyway? You know, I often looked at this passage and, and thought uh, Jesus was saying, you can come to me because I am meek and lowly in heart. And I suppose in part that is what he's saying. Um, and, and, and that certainly is true. But I think it's more than that. I think he's saying that, that I want you to come to me and learn from me how to be meek and lowly in heart. Because in learning... How to be meek and lowly, you will find rest. Jesus is saying, I want you to learn to be like me. So what, if we are to be meek, what is exactly is meekness? And so you look it up in the dictionary and some of what I saw was, well, meek, mild, gentle, 
common wisdom tells us that uh, humility is more how we look at ourselves and uh, while meekness is how we relate to others. So um, let's go with the meek, mild, and gentle and um, take a look at a couple of characters and see how they fit the bill. So um, I like to look at Moses first of all. Uh, Numbers 12 verse 3 says, Moses was very meek of, of all the men on the face of the earth. So um, we have Moses coming off the mountain with God and, uh, and, and, and God tells him, I want you to go down because the Israelites are in trouble. And um, so Exodus 32, 19 we read, and it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and threw it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. So uh, my question to you is, was uh, Moses just having a bad meeting day? We just read Jesus said that I am meek and lowly in heart. Okay, so uh, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, which I guess is sort of where we were. And um, no, I'm sorry. That was, I, that, uh, that was the other verses. I beg your pardon. John chapter 2. I was wondering. John chapter 2. And uh, verse 12. And after this he went down to Capernaum. And he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples. And they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made the scourge of, made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And he said to them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. So, um, my question to you is, how is this meekness on display? What really do the biblical words that we translate meekness actually mean? And uh, I would like to say probably a lot more than, than how we typically interpret the words meek. Meekness is seen as a willingness to yield to another, and it is. But I think it is more. Vine says this about uh, the word meekness says in its use in scripture has a much deeper significance than in non-scriptural Greek. It is an inwrought grace of the soul, and the exercises of it, of it are first and chiefly towards God. 
They are first and chiefly towards God. We understand his dealings with us as good, and therefore we accept them without disputing or resisting. This also affects our response to the injustice that we see the hand of God as we see the hand of God using unlikely characters to purify and chasten his children. And so as we as the the as we um, yield, as we willingly yield to the mind and the heart of God, as we see God as good, then that also affects how we relate to those, even those can I say donkeys in our lives that um, that speak with the voice of a man? Um, that uh, we we find so frustrating to deal with. Um, as we can see them as the hand of God to deal with the things in our lives that He wants to change. Well, Vines goes on to say, describe negatively, meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It is equanimity of spirit that is neither elated or cast down simply because it is not occupied with self at all. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering what in the world does that word mean? And so I'm going <laughs> to give you the definition. Equanimity means it is a mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. So let me read that again. It is equanimity of spirit that is neither elated or cast down simply because it is not occupied with self at all. And so I think we can say that meekness is a willingness to yield completely to God and then to others, and it is not occupied with how with self or how things affect me. So if we go back to look at the meekness of Moses and Jesus, I think we would have to conclude that first of all they were meek toward God. God's objectives was their objectives. Uh, they had no will of their own, no agenda, nothing to protect of their own. Now, when Moses, when Moses hit the rock the second time, he did, didn't he? You find he, he did have a bad meekness day that day, and it, it cost him a lot. Sort of like a bad hair day, you know, I figured you got the connection. A bad meekness day. Um, They were, but they were completely gods. And um, now Moses, he, he had his day, um, and it didn't go well that day. And, but we don't find that in the life of Jesus, do we? Jesus was completely gods. You know, I, I think personally that Moses' anger was not in response to um, how the evil of Israel affected him. It was not how it affected him. But I, I, would, uh, I, I believe it had to do with the honor of God and the well-being of the people. He knew that 
their response to God was, was terrible and, and light of everything that God had done for them. He knew that God would not tolerate this idolatry and he knew that Israel would never prosper. And so I, I think we, as we see the, the anger of, of, of Elijah, and maybe, maybe you were looking at the anger of Elijah and saying, well, it was, a wrong, it was a wrong anger. I'm not certain it was. I think it was, I, I tend to think it was an expression of how God felt about what was happening in the camp. Of course, I can't know, I can't know uh, Moses' heart and mind. But in coming to Jesus, Jesus said that his words that he spoke was not his own, but as the Father speaks to him, that's what he speaks. He speaks the words of God. The same thing was true for everything he did. And so when he came to the temple and he saw the uh, court that was designed for the Gentile um, worshipers filled with cattle and buying and selling, Guess what he was feeling? I believe that him driving out the money changers was an expression of the father's attitude toward the arrogant, exclusive attitude for the truth that they were given. The Jews were given a, the, the word of God. They were God's chosen people and they were to demonstrate God's righteousness and goodness to the people around them. And, they, and God provided a place for Gentile worshipers to come and worship. And what had they done? They had filled it with buying and selling and making money. And I think Jesus was expressing the indignation of God toward the attitude that was, was being shown there. He was not expressing his own agenda again, he was expressing the Father's agenda. So how, how does meekness affect our lives? How can it affect us? How do we relate to the concept of meekness? That thing of, of, of um, see how was it said? of yielding completely to God, then to others, and about this thing of not being occupied with self. How does that relate to us as we relate in church, in our own lives, and in other things? Well, there's a number of places in Scripture that the Bible talks about meekness and, um, and how it is supposed to affect our lives. One of them is in Galatians 6, 1. He says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And I think the message for us here is to remember it's not about us. It's not about how it affects me when when my brother or sister falls, it's not about me. It's not about how it affects me. It's not how it makes me look. 
or how it makes my church look. It's not about anything else that has to do with me. I'm not in the picture. If I'm going with meekness, I'm not in the picture. It's only God's, it's only God. It's only God's will. It's only the benefit of the person that I go to. In fact, that is, it is, it is God's glory and God's will that drives me there to begin with. Because most of us are not really excited about confronting something that's wrong, are we? Unless we're angry, then it's pretty easy, right? We're angry enough, we're willing to confront it. But you see, the Bible says that the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And that's why, because there's no meekness in, in, in anger that comes out of a selfish, a, a personal agenda. If we are to go in a way that's effective and biblical, then, then our personal agenda and our personal feelings have to go. It's about the person being restored. It's about the goals of the Father. And it's about the well-being of the church. Now, we've got to be careful with the last one. I'll tell you why I think that's so. Um, because... because the well-being of the church get right back down to my own, my own agenda, how I feel, how it makes... I'm protecting my church, okay? It's my church, but no, it's not. And, and so even in, even in doing the right things and, and, and doing God's will, we have to be very careful because our own self so quickly, so quickly gets involved. If you think I'm preaching to you, you can think again. Because yours truly needs this sermon as much as anybody else. So another example I might have, and this is just... Um, a random one, Brother Joe dis and I disagree about a particular way of doing something on our new church. And, um, you know, I just don't like the look, but he likes it. He likes it that way. I like it this way. He likes it that way. Um, you know, meekness is laying down my opinion in favor of Brother Joe. But let's just say, that, but it could get a little more complex than this. Um, and so let's just say that, that, that uh, we both have an idea about how, how something is to be done, but I realize that Brother Joe's opinion about how this is going to work is not going to work. It's going to make him look bad because it's going to fail, and, and, you know, he's going to take the heat. And so meekness, if I'm thinking about it not from my not because of my agenda, but because of my love for Brother Joe, I might exert a little more effort to persuade him for his benefit. Isn't that true? On the other hand, maybe Brother Joe, his mind is made up, and, and you know, if I push the point, we're going to get into conflict. So now what do I do? At that point, isn't it true that I meekness will 
calls me to submit to Brother Joe, and if he has to deal with the consequences, that's between him and God. Isn't that right? I'm just trying to grapple with these things. I mean, we all grapple with this kind of stuff, don't we? And I didn't have anything in mind because I don't know anything about this. Okay? That was just something that came off the top of my head. Um, well, that's, uh, that's, the Bible speaks to meekness and, and other verses as well. First um, Peter 3, 3, I think we'll turn to that. And, and this is a, a passage that we often, as people, will look at in regard to, to woman's dress. But I'd like us to see something different there today. Uh, but I'm going to start reading in verse 3. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair or of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. The meek and quiet spirit is an ornament, he says, and God values it highly. Um, some translations will call it quiet and gentle, and I think that explains a lot, but I think there is... I think if we compare it with the definition that we had of meekness earlier, I think it will take us a little farther. I think it is more. It's, it's how she relates to her husband. Maybe we would say, who wears the pants? And um, there can be a very fine line between that and being a help suitable. Because every husband has needs, and they're all different. And you can't say that the way one woman relates to her husband should be exactly the way the next woman rela relates to her husband. Because when God gives us wives, he gives us wives that are suitable for us, ones that meet needs and help us in the weak spots of our lives. And yet there is a, there is a very difference between... Um, a wife that helps her husband and a wife that controls her husband. I would also say that a husband's meekness towards God, and think, remember again, meekness has to do with, with giving in, of submitting to God, of allowing God to direct us. A, a husband's meekness toward God will make it much easier for a wife to be meek toward her husband. So what about so what about naughty children in a worship service? How does meekness affect that? I think any of us who have been parents have experienced that. And um you know, the natural response when my child is misbehaving in church is, how does it affect me? How does it make me look? What do people think I should do as a parent? 
Am I right? Can you raise your hand to that? <laughs> oh, how I remember those days. Um, what is everybody else thinking? And, you know, I'd like to remind you, meekness doesn't think of ourself. Meekness thinks and acts upon those things about what is good for the child. How can I make this a positive learning experience? And, you know, it probably acts also in a certain sense and what is good for the people in the audience. How does it affect their ability to hear what is happening? So that's going to affect some choices that you make as well. But meekness is not about me. It's about the others. You might be thinking, as I thought, but I have legitimate needs too. Do I ignore my own needs? Do I pretend that they don't exist? If I'm always to be thinking about the others, am I always to be thinking about God? What about my needs? Well, I think the God thing is a lot easier because when God tells us to do something, then, then uh, you know, we know God looks out for us. But... Uh, my brother or sister or my spouse, no guarantees there, right? Isn't that true? Um, well, I don't think it's quite like that all the time. It, but, but there is a certain sense in which when we deal with humankind. There's no guarantee that, that our needs are always going to be understood or met. And uh, sometimes they don't even know that they exist. So I think, I would say this, that I think meekness is, or the lack of it is shown when I've tried to be responsible for taking care of the needs that are there and my needs are still not met. So it's just an example. You know, I, I'm, I'm terribly tired. I'm just terribly tired. But my children need me. Or somebody calls with a problem. Or um, a neighbor stops by and wants help, and he needs it right now. How do I respond to that? Am I irritable? Do I blow up? Do I give him a piece of my mind? You know, and sometimes it's not just needing help. Sometimes they're just coming to being a pain, okay? You know, they, they tell you a thing or two. Or, I don't know, you probably have some better examples than I do. For the question, the question about meekness is how do I respond when I feel like my needs have not been met? I'd like us to consider Jesus as an example. He's hurting. He's on the cross. He's bearing the sins of the world. He's feeling separated from the Father, something that has never happened like that before. Um, at least not to that extent. He's there, he's suffering, he's in pain. He looks down and he sees his mother and he considers her needs. And he says, John, here's your mother. He considers the needs of his mother that she's taken care of. As he's hanging there, the 
one on the other side that's crucified with him. He, he rails on him and, and um, says some terrible stuff. He's mocked by the religious leaders that come by and says he saved others. He can't save himself. And in the middle of all of that, the thief on the other side says, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. At that time, Jesus' heart and his soul and his body were, were all there. And they were ready to address the needs of this, of this person who was, who was hurting too. You know, even though Jesus was God incarnate, even though all nature responded to his commands, while he was on earth, it was never about him. It was always about doing his father's bidding. How about you and how about me? Well, it doesn't take very much thinking for me to know that my responses have not always been that way. Um, but the question that we are faced with is how can we get meekness? How do we get meekness? We can't go to Walmart and buy it. They don't sell it there. I'd like you to remember that the fruit of the Spirit is meekness. Meekness is a spirit fruit. It is a result of the Spirit being active in your life and in mine. And as we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God and as we as we allow the Spirit of God to do its work in our lives, it, it creates this fruit. See, fruit does not, you don't, you don't plant an apple tree and the next day you go out and find a fully formed fruit on the apple, do you? Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it's like my trees, you're not sure if you're ever going to get anything off of it. But, but fruit takes time to form and grow. And in the same way, Spirit fruit takes time to form and grow in our lives. It's not that surprising that, that meekness does not come on a Christian fully formed, is it? I don't think so. And yet it's something that we need to allow the Spirit to, to work in our lives. But that's not all the Bible says about meekness, though. It's also something we must follow. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things, those things that you shouldn't be involved in, but follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Follow meekness. It's something we must exercise. Um, in 2 Timothy, Paul writes, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And I think that, no, here it goes. Here it is. And meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. So meekness is all part of that. It is something we must exercise instead of strife.
It is also how wise men are to demonstrate their excellent character. Uh, James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And he goes on to, to give the opposite of that. He says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts. See, right there, that's the opposite of, opposite of meekness. Envy and self-seeking. It has to do with me. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I think you will find that every grace found in the Beatitudes will only exist if meekness is present. Check it out and see. I think meekness is necessary for those to happen. And Jesus is still calling us to come and learn of him because he is meek. And in learning, we will find rest for our souls. May God give you the grace to walk in meekness of wisdom. And may the blessings he promised in the Beatitudes be yours. Let's have a song.